Okay, with Corey Reedman, Blurred Lines is the short film winner at the Wild Sound Film Festival. This is a unique short film because it's it's about kind of a real story with real characters to give people a backdrop. Blurred Lines, the, the song by Robin Thicke, back I, maybe like 15 years ago. And I guess this is about the, the lawsuit that occurred where it was like Marvin Gaye's uh, family kind of sued them because the, the song the song is the same song, right? So it's sort of like kind of almost like a fan fiction film about this story. So I'm, the first question I have for you is like, what motivated you to do the, a short film based on this kind of this story? Well, first, thank you for having me. It's great to be on this podcast. Um, yeah, what inspired me to to start? So my parents are musicians and my dad uh, created a music course um, in the UK. It was a music technology course and um, it was a hybrid course because he liked to do lots of different things um, around popular music. And one of the things that he had a whole unit on was about the inner workings of the music industry. And he would cover lawsuits because it was a good way of showing how the music industry worked, how um, copyright works, how royalties work, um, you know, who you credit in a, in a song. And the best way of showing that is the where people have gone wrong, where they've got sued for lots of money, where they've been ripped off or they have where an artist comes forward and claims to have been ripped off. And the other artist says, I, I didn't rip you off. I'm not I haven't been inspired by you at yeah. all. So when I saw this happening. I was sending links to my dad saying, dad, this is really interesting. You should do a lecture on this to your students. And as it started to snowball and more and more headlines, I mean, even now, like it was in the news about two or three months ago because of um, it came out about Robin Thicke's behavior while he was shooting the music video. So still the blurred lines phenomenon, it, it still draws in the news. It's still like new controversy controversies yeah. are coming out all the time so yeah it's a really juicy exciting subject and it and it and i mean they say right about what you know i know a lot about the music industry through my parents and i know a lot about actually the 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 subtleties the nuances of yeah. this case so yeah it, it just felt like a perfect fit for me as a filmmaker so i just had to make it so i want to get to the making of the film in a second but i just want to touch on what you're talking about it's, it is funny that blurred lines is the is the is the title because it's very ironic in a sense, right? But it's one of those things. Yeah. Where like, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, right? So, so um, let's Robin Thicke and Farnell Williams are sitting in a room. They they're kind of like riffing and they kind of come up with this idea, right? You and I are in a room, come up with this idea for a screenplay, some or a novel. It's like I, I always had the idea where like ideas are a diamond dozen. It's the execution of the idea that matters, right? Or it's yeah. one of those things where like, we're like, if you're thinking you and I have the same idea or you have the same idea, someone else in a faraway land in Greenland or in America or whatever kind of has the same idea because that's sort of how ideas work, right? Because it's like about what's going on in, in relation to the world. So you yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt, like what, do, what is your take on it? Because you kind of like went down the line with it. We're like, do you think that he deliberately, consciously ripped off the song? Well, the I mean, there's other really interesting court cases where this has happened. But what made Blurred Lines unique and juicy yeah. is that Robin Thicke's story kept changing. Okay. So at first he said he was in the studio and he was jamming with 
with Pharrell Williams. Yeah. And they were like, hey, why don't we write a song like Got to Give It Up? Oh, that's a great idea. They were dancing all night. And he was like, he, then there's other stories where he said he came in and he said, um, Pharrell, write me a song like this. I really want a great anthem like this. And then he turns around um, and of course, the Marvin Gaye family sue because yeah. they now know they've got a case because Robin Thicke's been telling everyone that's that's <laughs> how he wrote the song. Like in an Turns out, it, right? Like just to let people know, he's saying it in interviews that yeah, yeah, just recorded, all, yeah, all, for a whole year in, a, in just a whole bunch of interviews, he he keeps changing the story and and dramatizing it. Yeah. And um, a Pharrell Williams doesn't work like that, and that really upset him. Robin Thicke going around telling people Pharrell Williams isn't someone that you go into a studio and say, Pharrell, do this for me. Pharrell is a really, is a really, really talented songwriter. Yeah. And he's a really talented collaborator. You know, you bring him in to write a song for you. It's going to have Pharrell's sound. So a, so that didn't, that wasn't true. And B Pharrell Williams turns around and says, actually Robin Thicke was late to the studio that day. So the song had already kind of been written by the time Robin Thicke showed up. Yeah. And then you get into this wormhole of well, why did Robin Thicke say that he did write the song? And then you get into this flawed character <laughs> yeah. who basically saw his friend write him this amazing song, the song that grants him the success that he was looking for and the fame he was looking for because he had, oh, how many albums was it? I think he had four or five albums before Blurred Lines. And he had... He had like lukewarm fame and then suddenly Blurred Lines propelled him to massive fame and he was resentful of Pharrell for for doing that. So and he and he wanted the credit that he had that he had the, the genesis of the idea. So um, possibly if they hadn't if Robin Thicke hadn't gone around telling people yeah. that he was inspired, yeah. it might not have happened the way it happened, which is now you know now now it's a tragedy right so it's just prime for for story yeah it's so interesting because it's like i like i said like i think it is it's his ego right like his ego wanted yeah to take credit for it. and he's just like he's like he's feeding off the journalist's questions and, and and it's so interesting where and then for now williams is kind of like the victim of this story i guess right yeah yeah to to a degree um i mean um because he the what I tried to capture is how the lawyers really put him on the spot to make out that you know that he's a a song thief that he does that uh, there was one moment where the film shows it because it's an important moment that actually happened where they they revealed that Pharrell Williams doesn't actually read sheet music yeah but I know loads of musicians it's a different culture now because it's all on the computer you don't really need to read sheet music you can just program it in yeah. so. So much of what Pharrell Williams does, which is so authentic, which is so by feel, is being challenged and made, made out that he doesn't really know what he's doing. He just rips off other artists. Whereas actually, if you go into the technicals of Blurred Lines, there's not a single note in common with the song. There's It's in a different key. It's in a different, uh, you know, one's in major, one's in minor. Um, the only thing they have in common, technically, is a cowbell. But Pharrell Williams says it wasn't a cowbell. He says it was a Coke bottle. So even then, <laughs> there isn't even kind of the, it just feels like that song. And but if you, be, if you play them do, back to back, they they feel like the same song, right? They that's, feel that's like the same thing. song. Yeah. Yes, they feel like the same because they've got a syncopated rhythm. They've got, it's the drum beat and it's the sound and it's the, and it's the, the feeling of it. But that's, that's Pharrell Williams being inspired by Marvin Gaye, who's, 
hugely influential anyway you know throw a stone and you'll hit a song that's you'll hit an artist who's inspired by marvin Gaye. so it's a real blurred lines yeah as you said earlier <laughs> that's the great irony of them yeah. naming the song blurred lines it totally blurs the lines between you know just just because you're inspired does that mean that you that you deserve to to be sued you know it it's, it's a dad, real gray area what does your dad think of the lawsuit um well um technically they didn't i mean the the thing is they did all the right things to prevent themselves from being sued because the worst thing you can do is is copy a melody or copy lyrics and they didn't do that you know there's not a lyric in common and there's not a melody or or, or anything like that there's no notes in common mm -hmm. so the fact that that they unanimously the the jury voted that in favor of the gay estate so it it seems that um that the pair of them was so unlikable during yeah. the trial that actually that's what lost it for them yeah it's almost like i'm sure you've seen the social network it kind of reminded me of the social network where where zuckerberg he he executed the the concept and then these guys came in and they basically said oh this was our, our idea and then it came up with the question and was like well was it you kind of just like i was thinking about the same i was thinking about yeah. the same time but zuckerberg was so unlikable they lost the, the lawsuit because nobody liked them i guess right yeah 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 they they settled because they just warned them that that mark zuckerberg is so unlikable yeah. that you <laughs> stick him in front of a jury and he's just going to dig a hole for himself yeah so he had he had no choice but to settle and um yeah this went all the way up to um to uh i think did it go up to the supreme court it says at the end of the movie in a, in a text how far it went yeah um they they appealed it and still it uh, the gay family and the gay family took them back to court years later and said that they were undersold they actually deserve more money and that one got thrown out of court the judge said you've had enough yeah enough but enough. um but because it, because yeah, no but the facts are the fact for one it's like there's a there's like a legend, right? Marvin Gaye legend, so that we all kind of have a nostalgic factor over Marvin Gaye. It's a, it's always a, like it's funny the court's always an emotional thing, and then you got these superstars, these young superstars, that like kind of look, you know what I mean? There's like a certain kind of stigma, or like or ain't, they don't they don't like them, or there's jealousy, or there's certain like like oh they're like they're they're egotistical or whatever like that. So let's take them down in a yeah sense, right yeah yeah exactly exactly there was that as well because it was controversial the song went from being uber popular yeah to suddenly six months later just a, a decline in how people felt about the song and now you can't get it played That's um I, I i it's yeah it's just a total cu cultural shift they um they were quite in, unlucky in that they tried to use they tried to use sort of this um this this marketing by being controversial whereas in today's culture the culture shifted so much that you would never dare do that because you'd just offend too many people but they were trying to make it successful by being offensive and um yeah now it, it sort of backfired for the song you know but there's no predicting that but he this this song made robin robin thick though like he became a superstar right yes overnight overnight, overnight superstar. and yeah, yeah, and um, when when I was researching it, um, the actor the actor who plays Robin Thicke, Ryan Bound, actually found this out and told me and, and sent me a link to the interview that um, Ryan, uh, Robin Thicke felt like um, 
that he had to portray a character to be, once the character he portrayed in the music video with the sunglasses and this ladies man this cool person he felt that he was portraying a character as soon as he became famous um and then for him to kind of get over that period in his life he had to let go of that character so with the sun if you watch the film there's this there's this motif with the sunglasses it starts with him putting the sunglasses on it finishes with him taking the sunglasses off which metaphorically syncs with the true story which is that he was propelled to fame he had to pretend to be this famous person and in the end he kind of let that go and just let go of that fake persona yeah and then also too there's the infamous uh Miley cyrus kind of like finger sex whatever they had and Blurred Lines was played during that. Was that the MTV Awards or whatever? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Where and where she danced very explicitly with him. With yeah, finger, that, with her, in the, with um, the rubber finger, she had sex with the rubber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the um, in the in the Sizzler for the <laughs> film, when I was trying to get it made, that was in there, but I didn't have the rights to to cut to it. Otherwise, I would have recreated it. If I could have recreated it, I would have cut that in the beginning montage. It's funny because yeah, that, that was is my an important question. part of legend. If, if, that was my next question. If you, did you ever thought about recreating that moment? Right, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, the original vision as it was scripted was it was going to cut to all of the different news clips and just this montage of just this media storm. Um, but then just to, due to budget restraints, it just ended up being voiceover. It's just voiceover of, of, you know, the fate. It, they are what it's uh, to anyone who hasn't seen the film, it opens with um, voiceover, a, a montage of voiceover of different news journalists covering it yeah. and that's verbatim the news coverage that was actually played what what happened was i in the edit i ripped the actual news clips i assembled it all and then i sent it to voiceover artists who dubbed it over so that's the actual news as it was reported when blurred lines was being was really blurred cool. lines came out so okay so you wrote the script and then you're like were you when you were writing the script you're like i'm this is i'm gonna make this into a movie because it's a pretty ambitious film because you have to cast two actors to play versions of a character of real life characters. So they have to look like them, but at the same time, we have to be convinced that they're them. It's, it's a very daunting task. Yeah. Yeah. I, I pitched it to, I pitched it to some short film funders and I had some face to face meetings with them. I pitched them to some producers who I'd worked with before and um, all of them were very negative about it. And, and they were very negative about that aspect. They said, one of them said it was impossible. Um, and they they said, look, everything rides on you casting these two. Yeah. And But the film's magic trick, I said, you're looking at it the wrong way. I said, the film is actually quite low budget because all it is, is it's a recreation of a music video that was very, very cheap because they didn't actually have a massive budget for the music video anyway, because the studio didn't want to pay for the music video. They they paid for the music video themselves. So that's why it's just them against the white wall. Um, yeah. Then um, then it's them inside offices being sued and it's them in a recording studio writing the song. Very In terms of a, a, with my producer hat on, very, very low budget, very, very simple. Um, the magic trick of it, though, is I said, look, if you get the casting right, all I have to do is cast two people who are perfect. And if I can find them, then everything else will make sense. It will look a million dollars because it because I've cast it right. Yeah. So it but 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 if you looked at it negatively, you'd say, yeah, it's it's impossible. You're relying on casting two people, 
two your whole film rests on casting two people and i said no you don't understand the whole film rests on just casting these two people after that it's easy and that that's exactly yeah, kind of what happened but at the same I, time casting these two people is not easy that like even, yeah. even if even if what you said is true after that it's easy because you're, you're only in like two locations and the style and the story is there but you have to cast Fernell williams and robin thick like that's not yeah easy to, so did you have already in your eye did you already have the actors in your mind did you know these actors before you started casting like what was the process yeah this was the crazy thing i didn't know anyone um okay so you just like everything you blind I, faith that you could find them yes yes okay. i just thought i thought um so I, everything i'd done before i'd written it with people in mind and this was the first time i'd ever gone i need to find people um, and I, I, I picked one producer I pitched it to said, um, he said, look, make sure you've got strong parts for actors. If this is a strong part and if it's a juicy subject and it subject and it's exciting, then you will attract the right people to you. So I had faith that, um, that it was interesting and that, that it was juicy. So I just cold approached people. I cold approached, um, so, uh, for, Pharrell was the first person out of the pair um, that I found. And I just went through a casting directory in the UK and I just, I put in the parameters of the casting and I just went through page after page after page. And the last page, the guy's headshot, Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor, who plays Pharrell Williams, his headshot looked like Pharrell Williams and he hadn't been active on his profile for two years. So I wasn't sure if he was real or if he quit acting. I managed to find him on Instagram. So I reached out to him. Turns out his whole life, people have been calling him Pharrell. His whole life, people have thought, have said, you look like Pharrell Williams. Yeah. So it was kind of the, he's, his sister, who's his manager, said it was kind of the, in a strange way, it was the part he was a little bit born to play. And I think, and I, and I think law of attraction, because I sort of believe in that stuff and I've seen it happen. I believe that kind of we we attracted to each other because we actually had friends in common. It turned out we'd work we both worked with a filmmaker and uh, together and just kind of missed each other. Um, so yeah, just six degrees of separation. We had one friend in common. So yeah, when I reached out to him, it 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 felt right for him. It felt right for me, and I thought, great, I've got Pharrell Williams. Now I just have to find Robin Thicke, and then we'll uh, again we're we're uphill. Well, with downhill rather. So Robin Thicke was played by uh, Ryan Brown. So where did you find Ryan Brown? So um, Ryan Brown, um, crazy story. I I was looking everywhere for Robin Thicke and um, I couldn't find him. And I found a location to film in and I had it for free, but I had to shoot on this date. So I reached out to all of the actors I'd already cast and said, can you make this date work? And everyone could make this date work. But no, but none of them knew I I still hadn't actually cast Robin Thicke. <laughs> which is so, kind of the um, key to your film. Like he's like, he's your lead Which character. is the key to the film. Yeah. But I was thinking, I, I, I will find someone. I have to find someone. So we were two weeks from shooting. And um, I thought I'd actually met the manager. I'd actually met his agent and previously. And I watched her reject um, a uh, an actor, and how she rejected an actor was so 
was so um insightful and respectful and showed so much but yet yeah, the insights the perfect word it showed so much insight i realized wow she's a really great agent i bet you every single person on her books is amazing so i went on her website and new edition is ryan and i thought wow he looks perfect and it turns out he'd only recently moved from australia he'd been stuck in australia because of covid and he'd finally got back to the uk and he went straight into shooting and being cast in this film so right place right time i'd spent a year looking for him and then two weeks before filming i actually found him and he'd flown in from australia i feel like it was all just yeah some serendipitous meant to be so they would like so he well like because he's the arc of your story right so this so one thing he's obviously he kind of looks like him he's handsome but you're doing a lot of close-ups you're doing a lot of like he's he's a story beat right like he his performance has to work. So where's yeah. like, so tell me about like, did you guys rehearse a little bit? How did you got to, how did you guys nail it? And then did they like watch like hours and upon hours of like, it is also too, there's one of those things where like, they don't want to do a, a full on impression, right? They want to, they want to tell the story, yeah. but not like do a caricature of Robin Thicke, I guess too, right? Yeah. Well, um, what my thinking was um, to attract, because this was super low budget, um, I, I decided I don't want to be the director that tells that dictates to my collaborators how I want them to work for me. I want them to work with me. Oops, I hit the microphone there. I want them to work with me to um to create this thing. So I basically said, um, I'm what I said, this is the part. Um, it's two days of filming. This is what I'm offering. Do whatever you want, and I trust you because I've said I said I'm I've seen your stuff. Um, uh, I know you're perfect for the part. I'm not going to waste time, you know, go, going through like long discussions with you. I'm just going to leave you to it and trust whatever you want to do with it. So, um, I, yeah, I put a massive amount of faith in my cast and then we had one zoom rehearsal before we were going to film. And, um, it was so exciting. And I remember thinking, oh my God, thank, thank you. You know, <laughs> because the, it was electric and all the casts were just on fire and um and i and I, they unlocked new things that i hadn't seen in the script as well just watching them perform it and um yeah it's a testament to pick your collaborators and just trust them to get on with it so yeah i found out later on i found out ryan's process and he just went away and watched hours and hours of content yeah. of robin thick in interviews yeah. and completely worked out his accent completely worked out little quirks did research onto his backstory about what motivated him to be there i mean all of this stuff i've done as a writer yeah but for him and his performance i just wanted to trust him to to just do it and all of them i just trusted to just get on with it and they and they did because there's such interesting like uh, um robin thinks such an interesting guy in certain regards where like he his dad was famous I'm sure money wasn't a worry growing up. Like he, he was, he was around the industry his whole life. And, uh, and like, so he's kind of has it, but he's also got this, the performance is great because he's got this mixed ego in a sense, or like he's very insecure, but then he kind of has, like you said, in the beginning of the film where you have like him kind of like putting on his jacket and kind of, kind of playing a role, I guess, as, as you described uh, before, whereas Fernar Williams was like, kind of like he's the opposite right like wasn't like yes 
like you know what I mean, like from a poor background, he wasn't in the industry. Like he kind of worked his ass off to get where he uh, was. Not that Robin Fick didn't, but it's you know what I mean. Robin Fick arrived like yeah. it's like a it's like a it's like a sports term in the states where like he he landed on second base or third base, meaning that like he he had a lot of opportunities coming his way. Where Fennel Williams like he grinded it out, full of talent, and like he, he's sitting there in the deposition room. It's like. He, he doesn't want to be there. Like, he's like, what am I doing here? I'm just an artist. He wants to be creating music. Yeah. yeah, he wants to be creating art. That's what's being taken away from him. Yeah, in those exactly. Moments. Yeah, absolutely. And then, but, but Robin Thicke is like, he, he kind of like, yeah, he kind of like, yeah, it makes sense that he's in a deposition room. Yeah, he's yeah. He, 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 he can outsmart it as well. He's there. He's there thinking at the at the top of the film and in the actual, if you read the, the you should read the, um, Oh, what's it called? The uh, the deposition transcript, because yeah. a lot of the best lines are lifted from the deposition transcript because they were just so funny because he thought he could outsmart them and, and outplay them um, by being difficult. But in the end, um, he ran out of options and he had to just come There's clean. There's a certain spoiled, like pretentious, like white, like privileged guy, you know what I mean? Kind of persona that he has. It's like it's called yeah. what it is, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what's what's really, I mean, there's an underlying thing in there, um, a theme which is there, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to make it too prevalent because, um, because I th I thought it'd be best to be subtle. But there is a theme in there that that Marvin Gaye is, you know, a black American, is an African American. Yeah. Um, the music was inspired by, you know, African American music. Um, Pharrell Williams, an African American artist, and you've got a room full of white people yeah. arguing about who owns the song. You know, it's yeah. there. And it's a staging, the staging person for now, for now Williams is in the corner of the room, right? Like he's not even in the exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And in real life, Pharrell Williams wouldn't have been sat in the deposition. No. Um, but so in kind of a way, he's like a spirit watching them, yeah. in like a ghost, because they're all arguing they're all picking like vultures at his work at his achievement because you know and and um yeah the film you're you're spot on that they are opposites um i did work to make sure that it was sort of a woody and buzz dynamic <laughs> where you've got two characters at the center of it and they're complete opposites come from completely different worlds but pharrell williams has what robin thick wants which is the Midas touch, which is the ability to just sit there. And that's why it's so rewarding for him at the end. Spoiler alert. Yeah. When um, Farrell says you have it in you next time, don't be late, which is that you are gifted. I'm, I'm going to give you the thing that you crave, which is yeah. the praise. I'm telling you, you are gifted. You've got it, but you're just, you know, you're, you're too much going on, you know, just focus on the music and, I, that came from Robin Thicke admitting that himself. I, I listened to a podcast and he said that that's what was going on in his life. Yeah. So um, that's what I tried to capture. Yeah, and because Fernald Williams is working with him for a reason. He's got a certain artistic in integrity, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Pharrell Williams signed him to his record label. Yeah. So after the first album, he moved to um, Pharrell Williams' um, uh uh, record label yeah. and it was all facilitated under that umbrella so they've been working together for years and yeah he he doesn't pick his collaborators lightly but i th i feel like the character needs to learn that i think he's forgotten that so yeah it's it's a really good film like i'm like i don't even know where to ca 
I don't like I, I saw Thank it. I'm you. like, where do I categorize this? It's like, is it fan fiction? Is it is it like it's a straight up drama? It's like I, I've never seen anything like it where that said, I, I see a lot of fan fiction people. I, I see a lot of attempts at a movie like this, but not a good, not a solid, like perfect ex execution, uh, uh, 12 minute short film that kind of arguably should get into every festival it submits to because it's really well done. And yeah, like even oh, cool. your, 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 your direction's perfect because it's like, it's like there you, you're, you're not moving the camera. You're just like doing close ups when you need to. You're doing like, it's all kind of static. You're letting the actors perform. But it kind of it is the thematic of the film, or it's like this is like there's like there's this stillness to it, I guess, right? Like I, 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 that's the best way I can describe it. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, because uh, I did the cinematography for the. I mean, I did I doubled up on on loads of roles to be honest, but um, I like to shoot myself, shoot myself. I like to do my own shooting, not shoot yeah. myself. Yeah. I like to do my own shooting. And um yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I just wanted to I don't like it when when you go, oh wow, that's a great shot. Yeah. Because it, I feel like it takes you away from the sure. from the piece. Yeah. I just want at the stillness is yeah exactly just letting the actors play. Um like sometimes actors will say to me, oh, where can I move in this shot? And I say, that's not really how I like to work. You move and I'll follow you. You know, I'll make your performance work and I'll work around you. So that's always the foundation. And then well, who's doing your, in terms of the lighting. Who's doing your focus pulling then if you're doing that kind of Me, concept. me. Yeah, I'm I, everything. I'm I'm literally yeah. everything. That's and But yeah, it's, it's good fun. It's good fun. It keeps keeps things. I mean, I was able to work fast because because sure. of that. And in terms of the lighting, um, I just used the trick, the um, the Godfather trick, where you where you bounce light around the room, and then I set the light, and I set the light for the whole space, and then I just shot around that space because again, I don't like things that are too. I, I want it to be cinematic, obviously, but I don't like things that are too oh wow look at this shot yeah. i don't like it when people crowd around the camera and go oh wow this shot is amazing we should be saying yeah. wow we should be having the discussions like we're having about the story that, that that's the scenario that i i realized i like to be in in a beautifully edited film too right where it's a little bit out of order but you're not you're it's thematically kind of present meaning that it is a thematic streamline but then you can tell that you're going to this scene and then you're going back and jumping back and forth and you're going to the studio then you go into the music video, like you're like, you're all over the place, but it's like, it doesn't feel that that way. It feels that you're thematic, you're cutting thematically, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. This is, um, I mean, my, my background is very much music because, because of my parents, I'm the only one that uh, I've got two brothers. I'm the only one that pursued film as opposed to music or, or everyone else in my family went into music, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's for me, it's sound, it's musical. So it's it's the the hit it's the sound of the the you know the the hustle bustle of all the the interviews hard cut to the deposition room where it's still and silent hard cut to back in time when they're writing the song and it's yeah. momentum it's very musical up and down and and you know chorus verse and just finding the finding a way of listening to it as well as, as seeing it really cool so what did you think about the audience feedback video the north american uh, reaction to your film I, I loved it. I loved it. It was so exciting because I've I've known about Wild Sound Film Festival for for ages, and I've watched the I I've, I know as far back as when it used to be a camera actually pointing at an audience in a cinema and people would stand up. So I knew of it, and I was always I was always curious. I was always waiting for the right thing to send, just because I didn't want to listen 
because I saw one and it opened on, yeah, this film doesn't really work. And I thought oh, that would be my worst nightmare for a room full of people to say this film doesn't really work. So I was so excited that they were, everyone was so positive. Um, and especially notice the nuances of the piece um, that that always makes it more worthwhile, right? When people notice the the stuff that you put a lot of attention into and that sometimes gets missed. Yeah, yeah, it's a really solid film. It's like I, I know you you got a pretty good accomplished career so far. I think you're still in your twenties, so you're on your way. Like I think you're gonna. I think you got a couple features in you. So like you're just a solid cool. director, Thank and you, you got that Soderbergh esque kind of like I'm gonna shoot and I'm gonna direct and like. I'm going to edit and it's like, but you're not pretentious about it. It's like, you're, you're, you're doing, you're doing great stuff. So I love this cool, film. Thank you. I can't wait to see what you do next. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again when you make your next film. Yeah, I'm there. You're there? Thank you. All right, man. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. One, two, three, four, five.